0: And teaching is from the warrior's heart bible study for men you can find us on the web at warriorsheart.org we hope you have a great day thank you for your kind words i'm reminded of the guy that got introduced um, in uh uh, speaking situation like this, and he was introduced as the CEO of a Fortune 500 company, uh, making his fortune in oil. And he said, "Well, he said just in the interest of accuracy, you need to know I'm not the CEO. I'm actually a middle manager. It's not a Fortune 500 company. It's a small family-owned company, and it wasn't oil. It was coal. So you know, uh, don't believe everything that that you hear." Uh, uh, When I got up to come up this morning, it reminded me of my youth director days. We, uh, We had a thing very similar to this for the students, and we called it secret service because basically to be a part of it, it was by invitation only. You came for a Bible study before school. It was about this time. I would bring donuts up, and the kids... We'd have Bible study, but to be a part of it, you had to have a service project, much like y'all do, and you couldn't tell anybody about it, so it was totally under the radar. It was secret service, and unfortunately, my secretary put it as a line item to buy the donuts in the budget, and so at the big church conference, one of the deacons go, why are we giving money to the secret service? I don't understand that, and so it was no longer secret. Uh, but anyway, great time, seek God early in the morning. Uh, Exodus 3, I was at the men's retreat and went to Pastor Greg's small group and he, uh, or his his breakout and, you know, he talked about his book, Finding God's Will, which was based on the life of Moses in Exodus. And uh, as I sat through, you know, he's such a great teacher and I, I sat through that and I said, well, basically... That's what I'm going to be doing for Warrior's Heart in a couple of weeks. He goes, well, here are my notes. I go, no, I've got, I've got, I've got the notes, but we're on a similar theme here. Uh, look on the back of your listening guide uh, to the three discussion questions. You know, it's always good to begin with the end in mind. And in a moment, uh, in about 25 minutes, I'm going to allow you guys to have discussion around the table. And the three questions I want you to ask, is what's your biggest insecurity in filling your role in Christ. Now, whatever role that is, as a husband, a father, a teacher, or whatever it is, you'd be thinking about that. Secondly, what's the one attribute of God which you most often forget or take for granted? You know, God's big God, a lot, a lot to, uh, to Him. Uh, thirdly, what's the biggest hurdle you must overcome to being an effective, differ- it should be, difference maker? Difference maker. It seems like we'd get that word spelled right for sure. I've got the t-shirt. So, um, as I begin to look into Moses and uh, his call, his life, what we learn in Exodus, the the third chapter, um, I knew that he was regarded by the Jews as the greatest leader in the Old Testament. Now, that's a a big statement uh, when you think of Abraham, when you think of Joshua, when you, you know, on and on and on. David, Solomon. Uh, but the, the Jews generally consider him to be the greatest leader in the Old Testament. Uh, the thing that kind of struck me was how he is linked to Jesus in the New Testament. In uh, Revelation 15, 3 and 4, a striking verse. In heaven, praise at the throne. It says, they sang a song of God's servant Moses and of the Lamb. Now, when you're mentioned in the same sentence with the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, who takes away the sin of the world, that's pretty good company. They didn't sing a song of David or sing a song of Paul. They sang a song of Moses in uh, Hebrews 3, 1 through 6. It gives the superiority of Jesus over Moses, but the very fact that Moses is in the conversation, it's not the superiority of Jesus over Moses. For instance, King Saul or, or or Adam or any other character that you have in the Bible. So Moses has some pretty high company here. And so in his call in Exodus, the third chapter, well, first of all, I, I wanted uh, just to, by way of introduction to to talk about some links that may not be all that apparent between Jesus and Moses. Uh, if you look on your listening guide, we've got some blanks there. First of all, both were of the priestly line. Uh, Priestly line is that first blank. Uh, Moses is of the house of Levi. Jesus is a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Uh, Peter calls him our great high priest. So uh, Moses and Jesus were both of the priestly line. Secondly, they were both threatened as children, uh, as babies. Uh, you remember uh, the, the the blank there is threatened. Um, you remember Moses and the bulrushes uh, brings back great memories. When I was a little kid, before PowerPoint, before marker boards, you had flannel graphs. Does anybody have any idea what a flannel graph is? Okay, some of you. I mean, at Bowlegs, Oklahoma, that was high-tech stuff, was a flannel graph. And, and I, you know, I don't know that it was the very first Bible study I ever heard, but the, the you know, very creative, crafty teacher, you know, she puts up this... this uh, brown piece of flannel on a board and then puts a a blue strip across it and that's the Nile River and then there's some greenery and that's the bulrushes. Then there's this little ark and that's Moses and then the princess comes down and I can remember all that. I mean, I'm a visual guy anyway, but uh, uh, the flannel graph reminded me of Moses being threatened as a child. What did Pharaoh say? We're going to kill all the baby boys of the Hebrews, what did uh, Herod say? We're going to kill all the baby boys in in Bethlehem. So uh, there is that connection. There there was a miraculous rescue, uh, the princess in uh, Exodus twelve six, uh, and then the angel that comes to to uh, Joseph and says. Uh, you got to get Jesus out of Dodge or Bethlehem, as the case may be, or Nazareth. You know, uh, you, you got to get Jesus onto Egypt. And so there's this miraculous rescue. Uh, both are proclaimers of a new covenant. Both are proclaimers of a new covenant. And, and honestly, probably why you have Moses and Jesus so closely linked is Moses was the great lawgiver. Uh, you know, he gave the top ten. Uh, they, they were ten commandments. We tend in modern culture to think of them as ten suggestions or ten good ideas, but they were actually ten commandments. Uh, and then Jesus obviously uh, brought in the, the new covenant uh, of his blood, the, the new commandment in John thirteen thirty four that you would love one another. Um, literally, your Bible is divided into the Old Testament and the New Testament. That literally means Old Covenant and New Covenant. And so Moses is the poster boy for the Old Covenant. Jesus is the institution of the New Covenant. Uh, letter E on your listening guide, uh, a deliverer of people in bondage. Um, the Hebrews had been in slavery 400 years, physical slavery. You know the story. You've seen the, uh, you've seen the movies. Uh, but the, the Bible says Jesus also delivered those who were held captive that we are, in fact, slaves to sin. So both of them are deliverers of people in bondage. Uh, then the establishment of a new nation. Moses literally established Israel as a nation. Jesus established Christians as a kingdom of priests. And then finally, they sacrificed their lives. Uh, Moses sacrificed his life for Israel. Jesus, uh, on the cross, sacrificed his life as a ransom for many so there are a lot of of parallels between these two which ought to put moses on our radar we ought to go back and take another look at at moses and say okay what is there about this guy what can we learn and he has a rather inauspicious beginning in uh in exodus three um tried to kill a guy in egypt gets banned uh to the land of the midianites um Uh, Now he's kind of the backside of the desert and he sees this burning bush. Greg uh, does a a great uh, chapter about, you know, examining the bush, approaching the bush, uh, investigating the bush. He talks about God's call. Uh, I want to really zero in on the three questions that came out of this that I think are three questions that every man should ask on a regular basis. This is not just something you get an answer to when you're 12 years old and it does it for the rest of your life. You need to ask these questions. Number one, who am I? Who am I? Um, I'm, not, I'm not a counselor. I'm not a, you know, uh, we're not going to go into psychotherapy at this point. But I, but I think it's interesting that his first question of God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh? What, what's your big question today? Who am I? that my wife should love me? Who am I to raise this family? Who am I to do this job that I've got to do at work today? Satan is the deceiver. He is the liar. He is the destroyer. And he's always going to attack your personhood and who you are. You're not strong enough. You're not good enough. And so Moses said, who am I Should I, I should go to Pharaoh because I'm slow and hesitant of speech. That was an interesting thing. We don't have any record. You know, God gave Aaron to, to help backfill that apparent need of Moses. We don't have any record that, that Aaron ever did a public speech. Every bit of the speaking between the Israelites and Pharaoh was Moses. But his big objection was, because I'm slow of hesitant of speech. And then... He just comes right out in chapter 4, verse 13 and says, Look, just take somebody else. I'm I'm just not good for this. And and let me tell you, Satan's biggest tool against you day in, day out is going to be discouragement. He's always going to use discouragement. You're not able. You're not the right person. Uh, He's always going to bring up your failures to you. He's always going to bring up your sins to you. He's always, you can do nine things right and one thing wrong. And that one thing, he's going to beat you over the head and shoulders with it. So uh, the question, who am I, is, is really, really important. Moses, you know, he had some problems. He he was a convicted murderer. He was a fugitive. He was a known associate of the Midianites. He married one of them. Enemies of the Egyptians. So in answer to the question, who am I, that Moses was so plaintive with, uh, you have to understand who you are in Christ, Satan is always going to be pointing to who you are in the flesh, but in Christ, uh, the Bible says we are uh, romans eight thirty seven more than conquerors, more than conquerors. I wanted you to get a, a picture of the thing that Paul was saying to the romans the romans um, i 've had the privilege of going to to the city of Rome, seeing the forum, seeing the Appian way. Um, it's all crumbled in ruins now, but it, it must have really been something back in the day, right? It was the crown center of the world. It was the, the chief seat of the Roman Empire. And the Senate had an interesting honor that they would bestow upon conquering heroes. Julius Caesar, uh, the, the guys that went out and won great uh, victories, they would have in the streets of Rome only by order of the Senate, what was called a triumph. A triumph was the conquering general marching at the head of his troops, all shiny brass shields and polished swords, clean tunics, marching in a row down the main street, if you will, of Rome, herding the captives, oftentimes kings and nobility of nations that they had conquered ahead of them in chains. The, the the everyone was afoot the crowds were you know confetti and streamers and 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 hailed I mean this was by order of the Senate they were to proclaimed uh, a, 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 a they were this is the pinnacle of a military political leader in the Roman Empire they were the only ones riding on a chariot um, four horses pulling the chariot Screaming crowds, proclamation, this is their day. Forever and a day after this, they would be called Julius Caesar the Triumphant or the Triumphator. Uh, It's interesting, uh, in one of the uh, accounts of that, they said that a slave was in the chariot next to the honoree whispering in his ear, you are not a god, you are a man. You are not a God. You are a man. And that's, that's the, the emotion that went into this. They, they, they realized we're making such a big deal about this guy that we don't want him to think he's actually one step higher and, and the, the god, god smote him, so to speak. So the slave, that was his one job in the triumph. Now that was a Roman triumph. And I'm sure that image was in Paul's mind when he wrote this words that, listen to this man, in Christ, you are more than a conqueror. The, the greatest accolade that the Roman Empire could give a person, you are more than that in Jesus Christ. And so, so when Satan comes against you, attack, attacking your manhood, uh, attacking your ability to do what Jesus says, and he comes to deceive and destroy and cause doubt and discouragement, you remember who you are in Christ, not who you are in the flesh. Second question, second question, uh, is, first was who am I, the second is who are you, and and that's God. He said, and when the Hebrews ask me, what is his name, what should I tell them? What should I tell them? Who are you? And I think it's a question, hopefully, that you will continue to peel back like an onion and find layers and layers and layers of who God is in your life. Now, the Hebrews were captive in a culture that, that had lots of gods. In fact, if you look at the, the ten plagues, the ten uh, uh, judgments upon Egypt, every one of those was aimed at a particular god that the Egyptians held sacred. Uh, even to the, the the blotting out of the sun, when the sun, uh, you know, the frogs, the the the, the cattle, all, all of these were held sacred, and we found temples and idols and shrines. And, and if you look at it, the the ten plagues are are basically God, Yahweh, uh, I am that I am, is saying to the Egyptians, "You worship a frog? Let me show you what I think of frogs. You worship the Nile? Let me show you what I think of Niles. You you worship." You know, a, a bull. Let me show you what I do with bulls, and and so it was the 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 triumph of God over all of these different uh, all, all of these different gods. So, in answer to who are you, um, um, Moses uh, understood that he saw uh, that he was going into uh, a uh, uh, he, he had to have a complete understanding of who God was and what God could do. In Christ, we've got to have that same understanding. Every day, you ought to have a little bit more of a revelation of who is God in your life and what He does in your life. Guys, the the, the battle that we face today is probably not good versus evil. It's not Democrats versus Republicans. It's not even the temptation that you face of should I give in or should I not. Those are all battles that we face But the huge cultural battle that we face today in America is truth versus falsehood. Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No man comes to the Father except by me. But we have a culture of tolerance. We have a culture of acceptance. We have a culture of relativism that everything is the same. And so... I mean, I'm going to start preaching in a second Eric if you don't if I don't stop. But we see in our culture I mean, used to be tolerance was if my neighbor practices santeria and kills chickens on his lawn, I just kind of look the other way and say, that's his deal. Culture today is, I've got to go out and applaud my nature, my, my neighbor killing chickens and even go kill some chickens myself just to show him that there's no, no you know, frown upon him. We have gotten to the point where all moral positions are equal. We've gotten to the point where all belief systems are equal. We've gotten to the point where you can't even differentiate between a man and a woman anymore. Did you hear about the court case outside of, not a court case yet, but the, the, the school district outside of Chicago? there's a transgender biological male who identifies as a female and uh, the, the school has changed the name in the permanent records to the female name has allowed them full access to whichever bathroom they want to use as long as are clothes stalls allows this biological male to compete on the girls sports teams all right But that wasn't enough because in the interest of privacy, they had this biological male, 16-year-old, walk down a hall to a private restroom to change. And he, she felt like that ostracized him, made him feel not a part of the team. So he filed a complaint with the ACLU. And on Monday, they sent a letter to the school district that if this student, this biological 16-year-old boy, doesn't have full access to the girls' locker rooms and showers that are not private showers, they're just gang showers, he doesn't have access to all of that, the Department of Education is threatening to cut off millions of dollars of funding to that school system. Now, I know some of you think I'm making this up. You Google it today and you'll find it. It's a big news story. And so, in our society... Everything has to be equal. Everything has to be relative. You're a Buddhist? Great. You're a Muslim? Wonderful. You're a Christian? That's okay. Just don't push it on anybody else. Uh, Lee Shaw was going to do a Share Your Faith workshop at his alma mater. Many of you know uh, he's been very, very involved with that. They sent him a a letter that said, an email that said, you cannot do that on our campus because that's proselyting. That's, that's uh, assuming that one religion is better than another, and that goes against our values. We are, as men and we are, as Christian men, increasingly going to be put upon. We're increasingly going to be marginalized. And, and th- th- there's two words I want to leave with you, and then I'll stop preaching. One is naturalism and one is humanism. Culture is going to increasingly try to make you defend the Bible on a naturalistic basis. Well, how did the Red Sea get parted? You know, how, how the, these demon-possessed people, though, don't you think that was probably bipolar and, and, and Jesus was a holistic healer? You know, they're, they're always... You, you, the, the world couldn't have been created in six 24-hour days. That's silly. Look at the geological record. But let me just share this with you guys. If you take the supernatural out of the Bible, you have no faith. All right? I had a seminary professor that put it like this. He said, we believe that a man who was clinically dead lay in a grave for three days, came back to life and started a worldwide religion. We believe that. That contravenes all the laws of nature. That contravenes all the presuppositions of naturalism. That is supernatural to its core. And he said, if you believe that, you should not have any problem with believing that Jesus fed 5,000 or walked on water or parted the Red Sea. Those are small potatoes compared to a dead man coming back to life. And my seminary professor said, gentlemen, if you don't believe that, you are not a Christian. Let that sink in. We are a supernatural people. We believe that God works outside the bounds of naturalistic law. And increasingly, culture is going to make fun of that, try to put you into a box, make you defend the Bible, make you defend your faith on a purely naturalistic basis, and it's impossible to do. In, uh, in, in 1 Corinthians 15, 12 through 19, Paul says, if Christ be not raised, we are of all people to be most pitied. Supernatural is at the very basis of what we're doing. Uh, and then humanism is basically that, that we people, humans, are at the center of things. Everything revolves around us. I mean, it's, it's Facebook and my fa- space and Twitter and it's all about me and, and it's my rights and, and, and I'm the arbitrator of what truth is. You're going to hear that a lot more in a postmodernistic culture. Well, that's your truth, but my truth is this. And so n- humanism allows a person to arbitrate what they, you know, everything revolves around them and they get to decide what's right or not. We reject that. We are a God-centric people. He is on His throne. He sets down the law. He gives us His word. We abide in them. Real quickly, number three, what about them? Once we get it settled, what about me? What about you? What about them? And the what about them is chapter 4, verse 1. What if they don't believe me? Uh, What if they say the Lord did not appear to you? And so in a supernatural way... uh, God intervenes in Moses uh, with, with the bush, with the rod that becomes a snake, with the hand that becomes leprous, and with the water that turns to blood, which is a foreshadowing of the, of the water from the Nile. So he, he basically asks, answers his objections in a supernatural way and says, look, I am God. I can do things you cannot do. Well, what about us? What about when we leave this room today? We get fired up. We have the synergy of other men. We, we, we see the, the truth of God's word, but we're always wondering, what about them? How, how are they going to receive this? What, what? You are responsible for you. At the end of the day, you've got to look at yourself in the mirror and face God and say, God, I've done as you've commanded Uh, and you want God to say, well done, good and faithful servant. You are not dependent on anybody else's opinion in order to do what God wants you to do. He calls you to be an ambassador. He calls you to be a witness. He calls you to be a harvester. Churchill said, success is not final and failure is not fatal. It's the courage to continue that counts. Gentlemen, I would ask that you continue in your role. That you continue in what God has called you to do, that you revisit who you are and and what you are called to do, and remember that you serve a mighty God. Joel Rosenberg has written a lot of great fiction. I, I've written I've read all of his fiction stuff. He's written one he wrote one at least one nonfiction uh, about the power of God in the Muslim world and how Muslims are coming to Christ. And I'll close with this. Rosenberg, as a part of his research, uh, a, a, a known terrorist reached out to him and said, I, I want to have a meet with you. And this is a dangerous guy, and everybody around Rosenberg said, you, you don't need to meet with this guy. I mean, he's, he'll kill you. And uh, Rosenberg still felt that was something he needed to do. They set up a meet in a coffee shop in a um, Middle Eastern uh, city, And the guy showed up, and it wasn't too long in the conversation before Rosenberg realized, this guy's come to be a believer in Christ. He is no longer a terrorist. He is a brother. And and Rosenberg, you know, finally admitted to him, knee-deep in the conversation. He said, "I, I almost didn't come to meet with you today because I was scared to death that you would kill me. And without breaking a smile, the guy looked at him across the table and he says, good you didn't meet me a year ago. That's the change that Christ makes in a person's life. That's the change that Christ makes in your life. You don't have to be in doubt of who am I. You are more than a conqueror in Christ. You don't have to be in doubt of who he is. He is the great mighty God, supernatural, not confined by the laws of this world. And you don't have to ask what about them. They can mock you, they can jeer you, they can defriend you on Facebook. Doesn't matter. You be, uh, you be, um, you continue in the call that God's given you, and be faithful to that. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the word that you gave to Moses, and with all of his mistakes, we can see why he is highly exalted. Because he came out of his comfort zone, not believing that he could do, but he totally trusted you to do what you'd called him to do. Father, thank you for that example. Let that be an example to us today. We are thank you for joining us on this week's podcast. We hope you can join us in person. We meet Thursday mornings at 6:30 a.m. in the Garden Room of Houston's First Baptist Church. For more details and to register, you can visit us on the web at warriorsheart.org. That's warriorsheart.org. Have a great day.